This is Allison Carter, Occupational Therapist with the Milestones Podcast. This is episode 91, and today we'll be continuing on with the topic of teething and feeding. I guess you could call it part two of the infant and toddler eating skills episode. Although for this one, I will be focusing more on specifics of the food play to help kids make the hand-mouth connection to eat more foods. Before I get to that, I wanted to mention a few things. I could really use your support. If you like the show and you feel like you get something out of it, please support me through Amazon. I know you guys are at home or starting to get back out and get to work, and you probably need some new supplies. Or you just need some things for your, your own home. It's so easy to do. Just go to my website, click the Amazon link, and it will take you directly to Amazon, where you can do any of your normal shopping. It won't cost you anything extra. You won't even know, actually, that anything even happened. But it will give me a kickback. I think it's something like 5% of the total purchase. I don't make a lot of money from this, but it is something, and it is enough to help motivate me to continue making more episodes for you. Right now, I've only been able to do about one per month, but I would love to be able to do more than that again. So please help me do this simply by going to mymidwesttherapy.com. Click the Amazon button and just do your usual shopping. I know you're out there listening. Please don't think you don't need to help out because everyone else is already doing it because that's just not the case. It doesn't cost you anything to do this. Please just do it. Like I said, it will help motivate me to find a way to get more episodes to you guys every month. Now getting back to the hand-to-mouth connection thing using food play. And for food play, I don't mean dump some pudding on their tray and say, okay, go ahead and play with that. And then just watch and see if they do it. Because a child who doesn't have the connection and a child that has tactile sensitivities probably isn't going to just dive right in and start playing in the pudding with their hands. In fact, they're more likely to start fussing, turn their head the other way, or even just move away from the area altogether. Therapeutic food play involves the parent, siblings, or anyone the child is comfortable with. It involves being on the kitchen floor or outside on the back deck or any other play area that can potentially get messy with food and be cleaned up fairly easily. It might include having them sit in their high chair, but it doesn't have to, and I usually try to avoid that. The majority of the time, when the topic of food and eating is a stressful event for a family, I will recommend we do this food play anywhere else but the high chair. Sometimes just being in a different place in the house for this play takes the edge off everyone involved, not only the child, but the parent too, especially if mealtimes have become a stressful event for them. When parents are tense, kids can tell, and they become tense or more tense than they would potentially otherwise be. Parents are often tense in these situations because they just want their child to eat and be healthy without a lot of difficulty. They just want them to eat. It is frustrating to parents a lot of times because it isn't just happening like it should be, and that can really be so hard for them to deal with. I can visibly see the tense, thick air around their meals when I just observe a typical meal session. 
And I will point this out to parents in a nice way because a lot of times they don't even really realize they are feeling that way until we talk about it. When you give them this activity that involves food, but is presented in a way that the child is not expected to eat anything. The whole point is just play and experience the food in a fun and positive way. This can alleviate some of the parent's stress, although some people still have a hard time letting go of the urge to try and encourage the child to take bites during this food play. It is a learning curve for most people. I think it helps too when I tell them, that the child will still eat their usual meals and snacks. So we know they're getting what they're used to getting to eat, but this gives them an opportunity to experience new things in between those meals. I really like to try this food play shortly before meal or snack times, if possible. So the child might be feeling hungry and it may increase the likelihood they will decide to taste some of the food on their own. Although, like I said, this is not the expectation. We would not verbalize this to the child. But of course, we hope in the back of our mind it will happen at some point during the play, even if it's accidental. So food play is not just dumping pudding on the tray and expecting the child to go to town playing with it. What does it look like? As with anything we do, there's not one answer for this other than to say, if it's done right, it looks like fun playtime. Just instead of using toys, we are using food, which could also include using toys along with the food. In fact, this is one of the easiest ways to start the process, using some of the child's favorite toys that are able to get messy in the food and be cleaned up with soap and water later without being completely ruined. Um, I also start with the food that the child will already eat. That's assuming that they're eating something. So taking this familiar food and familiar toys, we are hoping will give us the best chance to begin getting comfortable with the process. There is something about having their preferred toys or toys they are comfortable with involved in this. For one, it reinforces that we are playing because that is what we do when we have these toys normally in their day. And second, allows the child the opportunity to connect with these toys that are interacting with the food in some way, hopefully. I do not recommend taking the child's toys and just throwing them into the food. This is a process. Sometimes kids will think it is funny that their toys are in the food and they're messy, but other kids will be very upset by this and it will have the opposite effect that we're going for. The child may become so upset by their toys being dirty that there is no way they want to continue with this game. I find that kids will generally respond much better if they are the ones that have the control over the toys, and they are the ones that end up getting the toys messy. Sometimes we can quote-unquote help with this incidentally, but this takes some finesse and you need to be able to read the child before making this happen. Sometimes it works better to have them use toys that they like to play with but are maybe not their favorite ones because they could become upset by their favorite toys getting messy or just refuse to put them in the food to get them messy in the first place. Now, while we, the therapists, are the quote-unquote 
experts here. Food play therapy must involve the parent or caregiver. Those are the people these kiddos trust. They have a rapport with them with regards to eating, not to mention those are the people who are going to be with them every day and can make the biggest difference on a daily basis. One of the reasons this is so helpful with food play is because when the child sees the family member getting messy and playing with the food, they are a lot more likely to also want to participate. The child is often watching the caregiver and basing their own reaction on the caregiver's reaction to touching the food. So if the parent seems to be just fine, even though their hands are covered in the food, the child is more likely to be willing to also give it a try. This is a huge factor in the process, so don't forget that. Let the parents know part of their job is not only to model what we are hoping the child will do with the food, but also to give the appearance that they are having a really good time playing with the food. If they give any indication to the child that it feels yucky or they're grossed out by it, the child is not likely to want to touch the food or interact with it. Another benefit to having the parent involved is that they can also model tasting the food. When we do this, they really don't need to say anything to the child about taking bites or eating it or anything like that at all. They just need to be the model. Just taste the food randomly here and there without really talking about it or making a big deal about it. They can taste it and maybe just indicate how good it tastes by saying yum or just smiling, then move on and continue playing with the food and the toys like you were before. Resist the urge to ask the child to try it or to do it also. They will do it if they're ready. This is really where the child having some basic imitation skills comes in handy. If they are able to imitate gestures or actions in general, then we know they can imitate the tasting actions if they decide to. And it means that the parent being a model for the child is enough. So they don't need to pressure the child by asking them to taste it too. I really encourage people to avoid asking kids to taste it and pleading with them to try it. They have probably heard this enough when their parents were trying to get them to eat more at their meals or snacks. And it can become an instant barrier for this child. They might instantly become guarded and realize this is a trick to get them to eat, which can really backfire in the whole plan because it's not meant to be a trick. We just want them to get used to feeling the food, get more comfortable with it, and have good positive feelings toward the activity and not feel stressed or anxious about having to eat it. Now, regarding the food for this therapy, I tend to recommend starting out with one food that the child will consistently eat or one that they are comfortable with at mealtimes. By using a food they are already familiar with, you increase the likelihood they will interact with it while playing. Remember, just because it is a food they will eat doesn't necessarily mean it is a food they will touch. Start off by using the one food that has one texture. Preferably not something like a casserole, where there are many different types of textures already mixed in together. One texture is preferable. 
something like, for example, yogurt, pudding, jello, applesauce, ketchup, ranch dressing, peanut butter, or other um, dressings or sauces. Applesauce is a little questionable for me because it can almost be two different textures. Um, having only one texture at a time, and especially with the food the child is familiar with and will eat at least sometimes, can help make this playtime more successful. This is because what you see is what you get. One texture, one flavor, one scent. Make it simple. The child is able to process the single texture more easily when they touch it or when they get it on their skin. Every time they get some on their hand, it feels the same as the last bit that got on their hand. It doesn't change. It's not complicated by having multiple textures, which adds another layer of tactile processing for them. Even visually, it is most likely going to be one single color, which adds to the predictable nature of the food because it is the same throughout the session. Same with the smell. For those kids who are sensitive to the way things smell, only one single scent keeps things simple and predictable. Every time they notice the smell, it is the same as before. It is the same as the previous time they played in it, and it is recognizable as the smell that goes along with the way it looks. For example, green apple jello, pre-made, pre-packaged jello cups. Not an ideal food, not a lot of nutrition to it. But this is just an example. It is green, and no matter which package you buy, it is always the same color green. It has the same texture when you touch it. Each time you open a new container, it is the same. And it is even a consistent texture when you have a different color of jello. Finally, the smell is the same each time you open the green jello. This particular one has a pretty strong scent to it, and some kids may like it while others may find it obnoxious. But each time they use this jello, it will smell the same, and they will be able to pair the smell with the look and feel of it. When things are the same each time, it makes the activity predictable from day to day. When things are predictable, you are more likely to get them to want to interact with it in some way because they start to develop a certain comfort with it. This is all about developing or enhancing trust between the child and the caregiver, which includes being able to predict what is going to happen during the activity. Knowing that the last time they did this, it was generally okay. No one tried to get them to take a bite of anything or made them touch anything. It was all up to them to decide how they were going to interact with the food. This is one reason why food play can take such a long time for the child to get into and why any changes are often subtle. As I've said before, it is a process. In this process, depending on the individual child and how they are dealing with the food play activity, each change we make to the activity has to be based on what the child is comfortable with and what we can do to challenge them but challenge them at the appropriate level so we don't scare them off or end up making it completely worse than it was before. A lot of times, if I start with, let's just say, green apple jello, 
and the child has been doing pretty well with this, actually touching it and interacting with the jello in a positive way. After a few times with this same one, I may end up bringing strawberry jello. I would start out the same as before using the green apple jello, and after a bit, I would bring out the strawberry one. Let them see it still in the closed container, but make it known. Let it be present. The strategy for incorporating this one will vary depending on the child and how they are reacting to it. If they seem interested, have them help you open it and get into it as they are comfortable. If you and the caregiver have set the stage with giving the child control and gaining their trust in previous sessions, they will be more likely to accept this new one and to tolerate or allow it to be included in today's session. The strawberry one look, still looks like the same container as the green apple one, but now when we open it, it is red and it has a different scent. The way it looks as far as in the cup and the smoothness and everything else of it is the same as before. Kids can make these connections, especially if you talk about it, describe it and discuss how it feels the same as the other one we had before, but also talk about how it smells a little different, but it still smells nice really trying to tie the previous positive sessions with this current session when something has changed can help them see that it's changed, but not too much. The trust and control rules are still the same, which is probably the most important part for them. This is assuming that the previous sessions were what you would consider to be a positive experience or at the very least a neutral experience for the child. As long as it wasn't a negative or bad experience for them, you hope to have the positive feelings carry over from the previous sessions. If the sessions were negative, you need to figure out what made them go that way and reevaluate how you go about this food play activity. For now, let's move ahead with how to progress once they are able to get into the single texture using one food. And... Now you're adding the second food with only still a single texture. With the green apple versus strawberry jello example, the second food is the same type of food as the first one, but just a different color and flavor. I really like to use this type of strategy for kids who are really sensitive to subtle changes. Some kids get upset by any changes to the routine and presenting a different color or flavor is a change to the routine. Some kids will be able to move on faster than this. And for example, instead of adding strawberry jello as the second food, you could add something like vanilla pudding instead. This is a completely different food than jello, but it can still come in individual prepackaged cups, which would make it similar in one way for the child or somewhat familiar for them. It is also one single texture, which is Again, similar to Jell-O, even though they are different types of textures. It is the same throughout the entire cup. Of course, the consistency of the pudding and the color, flavor, and scents are going to be different than the Jell-O. Some kids will be okay with this much change all at once, and others will not. I would present it along with or after you start with the green apple Jell-O play for that session. Allow the pudding cup to be present. Let the child explore the new item as they are comfortable and interested. 
Another thing to consider is that some children will be so sensitive to changes in the routine that I've had to offer the single same texture, for example, Jell-O cups. But instead of moving from one flavor and adding a second at the same time, I offer a new flavor the next time, but still only one flavor for that session. So for example, instead of having the green apple jello again for the fifth time in a row, this time I'm going to bring only orange or only strawberry and switch it up completely um, if they're okay with it. In, an, in another few sessions, I might introduce another new flavor, but still only one flavor for those sessions. And eventually, I would have the idea to be able to bring two of those initial three flavors together at the same time in one session once the child is ready. This is something that you'll need to assess depending on their reactions to the food play. Keep in mind that I'm not suggesting that food play should start with jello cups or pudding cups or that these foods would even be involved at all. I'm just trying to come up with some pretty easy examples of things that are consistent. I want to make sure you understand the concepts and that you are thinking about all aspects of it like I do when I'm with these families. Please make sure you are using foods that the child is already familiar with and hopefully will eat if this is possible. I have worked with many children that really didn't have any foods they would consistently eat. This is a big challenge too. In this case, we just work with what they have eaten even a few times or will inconsistently eat. A lot of times this means starting with things like crackers or chips or things that are dry and really not that messy. And that's okay. Start where you can and work from there. This may be a situation where you end up starting with something like veggie straws. And if you don't know what those are, they're like a type of chip or cracker that's long and skinny, kind of looks like a straw. And it's pretty crunchy and light and airy. I might take the veggie straws and have an empty container, like a, a Parmesan cheese plastic container. Have the child take the veggie straws and put them in one at a time into the container. You can work on counting or just putting them in and dumping them back out, um, using the container play as a means for having them interact with the veggie straws. The way to progress from this would be to offer another type of chip or cracker, something that is possibly shaped similarly to the veggie straws, but is maybe a different color or has some kind of seasoning or something on it. For example, Cheetos. They're shaped similar to the veggie straws, but are orange, and they have cheese on them. And they can get on your hands when you touch them. Offer both the veggie straws and the Cheetos at the appropriate session, and continue the container play game, where the child works on putting all of these now into the container and dumping them out. When you're doing food play sessions, you need to consider all sensory aspects of the foods you are using and provide challenges for the kids or opportunities for challenges, but also opportunities for giving them control over the situation. For example, the jello is wet and slimy when you touch it, but it really doesn't stick to your hands or make your hands very messy when you touch it. If you end up squeezing it in your hands, it does change the texture and it kind of sticks to your hands a little bit more. 
but not necessarily in the same way that like pudding would. When pudding gets on your hand, it stays on your hand until you wash it or wipe it off. Also, visually, when you touch the jello and then you look at your hand, it looks the same as before, although it may look a little wet. But when you touch the pudding and you look at your hand, it now looks like pudding is on your hand. This is similar with the veggie straws versus Cheetos. The veggie straws usually don't leave much residue on your hands like Cheetos potentially do. For kids that have tactile sensory activities, this is a big deal and those are big differences. Having food stuck to their hand can be very upsetting for them and even after it's wiped off, they might still be upset for a while. That is why it is so important to let them be the ones to decide to touch these foods. Don't force them to do it or smash their hand down in the food. If they're hesitant, they aren't ready until they're ready. You and the parents should be modeling the actions for them. You are touching the foods and interacting with the foods in ways that you hope the child eventually will do with you in imitation. With the ultimate end goal being that they will begin to taste some new foods and expand their diet to a larger variety of foods and textures. But that will most likely take some time. It does not happen in one session. You'll be very lucky if it happens sometime in the first several sessions. My recommendation, once you get to the point where they're ready to move past two foods of the same texture, now use one of those familiar foods that you've been using and add a new food or unfamiliar food with a different texture. So for the Jell-O texture example, I would use one of the Jell-Os that you have been using and maybe now you add fresh strawberries. Now you have two very different textures, but the newest one is one that is similar in some ways to the original one. The jello is wet and slimy and the strawberries might be too, especially if they are cut up into slices or pieces. But when they look at their hand, it still looks the same. It doesn't look messy, only wet. Or if you've decided to use pudding and add strawberries, they will be very different in many ways, but that is something you will need to determine if it's going to be a good fit for that child or if it will be too much. Sometimes they are so sensitive to the textures, but if they really feel comfortable with the caregiver and you have developed a play routine with the food, they might surprise you at what they are willing to tolerate touching. Keep in mind that by using at least one familiar food, you're helping to make the activity more predictable for the child. A couple more things about this. I often use water as kind of an out for the kids. I haven't mentioned this yet, but for kids who start getting upset by the way their hands feel after touching some food, I have a bowl of water ready for them to use to clean off their hands. I try to have it out of their sight until we see if they really need it or not, but I have it close by to offer so we can offer them a way to wash their hands without having to leave the area. It also gives the child and caregiver a new activity. Instead of the child crying or getting upset and holding their hands out to the parent and the parent quickly and efficiently wiping any and all food off their hands for them, the child is given the bowl of water and they can help themselves by putting their hands in their water bowl whenever they feel like they need to. I find that the majority of the time, this has been an effective strategy because many kids with tactile sensitivities actually enjoy water and like washing their hands or getting their hands clean. Having their hands wet is usually acceptable, at least for a little while. 
even if they want to dry their hands off after getting them wet, they can do that. Just let them have the towel or napkin and try to do it for themselves as much as possible. We want to try and teach them that they can make the yucky feeling better for themselves. Again, this not only gives them control over the situation, but teaches them a new independent life skill. The nice thing about this is that kids are not always that good at getting their hands completely clean by themselves. And in this case, that might be okay. I would prefer they are not that good at it and they leave some of it on. Sometimes the child will wipe off their hands and then get back in the food and continue playing. And sometimes not. But they might not even notice a little food left on their hands somewhere right away. And that's fine too. We want them to be able to tolerate some on their hand without them being upset by it. The final comment for today is that I never mentioned anywhere in this episode using spoons, forks, plates, or any other type of meal device that would suggest it is time to eat. I hope you noticed that these items were left out of the conversation. I actually didn't even do that on purpose to make a point. I just noticed it as I was wrapping up, and I wanted to make sure that you noticed it too. This is because I don't think of food play as the same as getting a child to eat. I want them to eat foods, of course, but in many cases, we have to start out really just focusing on the play aspect of food and making it fun for the children that for one reason or another don't find food or anything associated with mealtimes to be that much fun. Kids learn through play, so let's use that to our and their advantage. In the next episode, I will be focusing on some specific strategies for the food play and some examples of how to go about doing it with children and their families. I will give you some case study type examples that will involve how and when to progress with the food textures like I talked about today. Please head over to my website, mymidwesttherapy.com, to see links for today's show. And while you're there, you might as well purchase some of my CEUs and get those done too. I'm guessing you may have some extra time on your hands right now and Getting some CEUs under your belt for the next cycle wouldn't be a bad thing. It's super easy to get them, and the tests are quick and easy, too. You're already listening to the show, so you might as well get credit for it. If you don't need CEUs, just click on the orange oval that says Become a Patron, and you can support me on Patreon with a small contribution to the, sh- to the show. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.